You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Welcome to From Beneath the Hollywood Sign. If you love old movies, Hollywood history, or the golden age of filmmaking, you've come to the right place. This is the podcast that talks about amazing stories of Tinseltown from another era and fascinating conversations with writer-producer Steve Kubine and actress-writer Nan McNamara. So, Steve, did Ava Gardner and Howard Hughes have a good relationship? Well, they did until he dislocated her jaw. What? Well, don't worry. She hit him back with an ashtray. From Beneath the Hollywood Sign is the gin joint for you. Hello and welcome along to Attaboy Clarence. How delightful to be back in your ears. I have a special guest this week. Well, not a special guest, just really more sort of, well, not even a guest, so to speak, more of a straggler who's wandered in a sort of a special straggler. Anyway, it's Suki. Hello! Hi. Thank you for that sparkling introduction. So what have you been up to? Oh, you know, the usual. Barked at the postman. Chewed through some cables, shed hair all over your sofa, made you some eggs. Maybe some eggs, I don't remember that. Well, you haven't eaten them yet, that's why. Oh, that's very kind of you. Where are they? They're jotted around all over the garden. Got a couple of thrillers to tell you about later. Oh, me? No, not you. A couple of thrillers, a great radio play for you. Who, me? No, for the podcast listeners, radio play. Couple of thrillers. I listen to Joe Rogan, I do. Good to know. He smokes cigars while he talks. He's very clever, he is. No joke. Okay, good. He's a doctor, too. He tells me all about what I'm doing wrong and who I need to hate. Couple of thrillers. No joke. Radio play featuring the marvellous J. Carol Nash. That's a scary dude. Let's kick off now, though, with Billie Holiday and Teddy Wilson with What a Little Moonlight Can Do. World class! What a little moonlight can do.
that, that was Billie Holiday and Teddy Wilson with What a Little Moonlight Can Do to Put a Little Spring in Your Step. Suki's gone off to put on her muscle-fit T-shirt and argue with someone about vaccines. Now, we all know that there are certain tropes in classic movies that more often than not always play out the same way. Lassie always rescues the kid stuck down the well. Cary Grant always plays the good guy. Crosby pretty much always gets the girl instead of hope. Rathbone always says elementary to Nigel Bruce. These are some of the reasons why we come back time and time again. We like familiarity, right? This is why my mind was so blown by 1949's Johnny Stoolpigeon, which features... Hang on, I'm still trying to process this. It features, unbelievable as it seems, Dan Durier as a good guy. Or is he? Yes, hold on to those hallelujahs, because all might not be as it seems. We're in noir territory with Dan Durier, alongside Howard Duff and Shelley Winters, in a movie directed by Mr. Gimmick himself, William Castle, and here's a clip. John Whalen, age 20 years, only a kid. Not a bad kid, just foolish. Somebody in Shanghai told him a way to make an easy buck, and he believed him. Smuggling, nothing to it. All you needed was a little luck. And so one night on a Shanghai dock, they slipped something into his hand that looked like an ordinary can of tobacco. Only it wasn't. And John Whalen wasn't lucky. Duff plays a narcotics agent desperate to infiltrate a drugs gang that's been smuggling heroin into the major cities. His only way of finding an in is to enlist the help of one of the most dangerous criminals he's ever faced, Johnny Evans played by Dan Durier, who wants no part of it. You might be an awful tough man with those hoodlums of yours, but to me, you're a dime a dozen. I'll make a deal with you. I'm going to take you on the outside for 24 hours. I'm going to tell you some things and show you some things. Then after that, if you want to come back here, all right. And no strings. Sure. You think you get me on the outside and I get a taste of it and I go crazy? Well, let me tell you something. I'll rot in this place forever before I'll be a stool pigeon for a copper. How long you been in here? You know how long. Yeah. Town's changed a lot in three years, Johnny. New faces, new places. All the girls got the new look. What do you got to lose? 24 hours. Turns out that the latest victim of the drug ring is Johnny's own wife, who took a bad batch and died horribly. Suddenly, Johnny seems very eager to turn stool pigeon and help Duff get a foothold inside the underworld, but first he'll have to put Duff through gangster boot camp. Your clothes are wrong. Get a pair of $30 shoes and a couple of suits. Something sharp. You can't carry these, they got your initials on them. Yeah, yeah, I know. This thing's no good. It's got copper written all over it. Get another one. Put some bullets in it. The uneasy pair head on down to a Tucson border town to infiltrate the operations there. But can Duff really trust Durier? And what will happen when gang mole Terry, played by Shelley Winters, comes between the two men? Lovely bit of tripe, this, which begins as an almost docudrama and pulls no punches when it comes to the whole drugs angle. Usually drugs are only referred to or passed over in these kinds of movies. This takes a rather more hard-hitting approach, which is very welcome, as they should never be trivialised, I don't think. The real meat of the story, though, is the relationship between Duff and Durier. The heart of the thing is that you have two sworn enemies, one cop and one con, who are forced to team up so that the cop can tread carefully into the con's world. 
it leads to some rather delicious tension. It's like watching a man walking into a lion's den. All it takes is one false move, one thumb down from Caesar, before the lions to tear Mr. Righteous to shreds. Will it happen? So will Durier pull the trigger? Will he get his revenge on the copper who put him away? What will happen when the drugs gang start to get savvy to duff? Will Durier seize his chance and pull a double cross? And what happens when Shelley Winters starts to come between the two men, pulling them apart even more? It's a great situation. It's made even more unbearable at times by the fact that Durier is playing so against type. He's hard to buy as a good guy because he always plays absolute rats. It was a genius stroke putting him in this role, really. I can't think of another actor who instills more doubt when he plays on the side of the angels. He can't possibly be a good guy, can he? Is Dan Durier. Also in the cast, you have a very young Tony Curtis as a mob hitman who cottons onto Duff. And you also have the wonderfully craggy face of John McIntyre as the drug ring boss, who you most likely know as the sheriff from Hitchcock's Psycho. Look, it's not top-tier cinema. It has its issues. But as an exercise in suspense, it knows what it's doing, and it keeps the rug pulled from beneath you at every opportunity. Check out 1949's Johnny Stoolpigeon. Superb little B-movie noir thriller with a magnetic conceit at its heart. Some men with brains in their cranium took a piece of uranium. They did what other men couldn't do. They split the atom right in two. Now it's up to the people to crusade to see that no more bombs are made. That this great force should only be used for peace and democracy. Da da di di dum da da di da di da da di dum. They took all the U-238 that they could find in the United States. They gathered it and made it all into the size of a billiard ball. Now it's up to the people to crusade, to see that no more bombs are made, that this great force should only be used for peace and democracy. Down to the south and west they went to try out their experiment, to find out what they wanted to know in the desert of New Mexico. Now it's up to the people to crusade, to see that no more bombs are made, that this great force should only be used for peace and democracy. If you should travel out west someday and happen to stop off in Santa Fe, just look around and take a stroll, you'll come across a great big hole. It's up to the people now to crusade, to see that no more bombs are made, that this great force should only be used for peace and democracy. Today it's the size of a billiard ball, tomorrow it'll be the size of City Hall, and when they drop it, you will see the place where this earth used to be. I mean, it's up to the people now to crusade, to see that no more bombs are made, that this great force should only be used for peace and democracy. We all can have prosperity with this atomic energy. 
the world can have its pork and beans or be blown into smithereens. It's up to the people to crusade, to see that no more bombs are made, that this trade force should only be used for peace and democracy. Well, your science lessons and your anti-warfare advice don't really come with more bouts in their step than that. That was Sir Lancelot with a rather unique atomic energy. I swear he used to just take a random book up on stage and sing entire passages along to his band. Love him to bits. And come on, world, throw those bombs in the bin. Thank you very much. Now, for those of you who have been kind enough to sign up as co-producers of this show, the new episode of Queens of Cinema is now available on your private podcast feed, a two-part episode called Baby, the Gene Harlow story, which I'm incredibly proud to have finished. So do go and grab that. The classic movie library has grown over the past couple of weeks and now contains almost 100 titles ready for you to stream instantly. Almost a 1,000 streams so far. Very exciting. Plus, the first half of Carrie Part 2 will be out for co-producers very soon. If you aren't co-producer yet, and if you like swinging on by to sign up, only takes a minute, and you can do so at www.patreon.com slash attaboysecrets, or follow the very convenient link in the show notes of this episode. Oh, here's a blast from the past. Maybe you have a question. Well, throw it into the question pot. Strangely, there is no next line. Well, maybe I'll read your question out on the show, or maybe not. Now, here's someone with a handbell. Yes, the questions have been flying in for months now, so let's take a peek over the rim of the question pot and see what people have been flinging into its murky belly. First up, a question from Annie, who writes, Thank you so much for your podcasts. I've just discovered them, and they are a very fun way of getting to know about older movies that are not so well known. Thank you, Annie. I've been very much enjoying hearing more about the Warner Brothers crime movies, which have always been close to my heart. The amazing Dr. Glitterhouse was, as the title suggests... Glitterhouse! Amazing! (laughs) Oh, and I did not realise that Angels with Dirty Faces had a sequel, so thanks for pointing that out. I wondered if you'd seen any of the Brass Bancroft movies Warner made, starring Ronald Reagan, which are so easy to watch. All the best from New York City. Annie. Well, hello, Annie, and thanks. Oh, my goodness, yes, I love the Brass Bancroft movies. I actually have a Brass Bancroft collection. His name's incredible, isn't it? Brass Bancroft. For those of you who are unfamiliar, Brass... I just love it. Brass Bancroft is a secret service agent played by Ronald Reagan who variously goes after counterfeiters, fifth columnists people traffickers, etc. And these little movies, these B-features, are about an hour long each, and they never pause for breath. They're delightful. My favourite one is Smashing the Money Ring, where he goes undercover in a prison so that he can, you know, like, smash a money ring. Anyway, it's complete hoot. There are four, I think. Uh, Smashing the Money Ring, Code of the Secret Service, Murder in the Air, and Secret Service of the Air. Definitely check those out. They're great fun. Annie, you get... Canterbury. Canterbury. Next question is from Frank, who writes, Hello to you, Adam, and thanks for the show. No problem, Frank, and thanks for your email. Frank asks, If you had to choose three Hitchcock movies to save for all time, which would they be? Frank, you cruel, cruel man. Only three? Gosh, what a question. Okay, well, first up would be Rebecca. That's probably my favourite movie ever. Second... Foreign Correspondent, as I can watch that film weekly and it never gets boring or less delightful. 
third oh good grief how difficult uh yikes well i love notorious i love the lodger i love spellbound strings on the train dilemma rear window i actually think torn curtain is a far better film than many believe they're basically all the films that he had made frank you're a sadist <laughs> but i'll pick shadow of a doubt because i love its purity but you should know that i'm shaking my fist right now at you which three Hitchcock movies would you guys save? Send your answers to me at adam at attaboyclarence.com and let's see what you guys would save. And Frank, my friend, you get one of these. You have failed, monk. Only joking, you get one of these. Canterbury. Last question for today, as my sanity is all shot to bits now, thanks to Frank and his diabolical question. This is from T. Rick Jones, who writes... Some of my favorite Golden Age movies are the Rathbone Bruce Sherlock Holmes films. I'm a Sherlockian anyway, and while Rathbone isn't my favorite Holmes ever, I grew up watching these movies Saturday mornings, and they are the comfort food of cinema for me. T. Rick Jones, that is a great way of putting it. Hearing you wax lyrical about them on all the best lines inspired me to watch them all once again, even though it's only been a few months since the last time. I've always wished they had added Holmes' brother Mycroft into some of them. Even though he appeared occasionally in the radio plays, neither he nor the Diogenes Club showed themselves in any of the 14 films. Who do you think would have made a good Mycroft in those films? I love all your podcasts. Thanks for all the hours of entertainment you and Suki have given me. Well, Thank you, T-Rick. Yes, thank you, T-Rick. I didn't mean to provide you with so much information and entertainment, but I'm very glad to have helped you. Yes, thank you, thank you, thank you very much. Okay. Well, thanks so much, Miss um, Carney. Not sure if you're aware, probably are, but I did make a secret history of Hollywood episode about the Sherlock Holmes series. Yes, I helped on that too. Yeah, yeah, totally helped. Called The Game is Afoot, which is available exclusively to co producers on Patreon. Anyway, Mycroft. Yes, what a conundrum. Do you know that in one of the movies he was to have been played by Oscar Homolka, who played the terrorist Verloc in Hitchcock's Sabotage, back from his British period? I can see that, sure, but my pick for Mycroft would have to be Claude Rains. I can really see him playing that kind of omniscient, super smart, sly, sort of sarcastic, cerebral type. In fact, Charles Lawton also would have made a great Mycroft. That's a great question, T-Rick. And take for your pains a Canterbury. Canterbury. And remember, if you have a question, all you need to do is visit www.attaboyclarence.com. Scroll down the homepage and toss your query into the pot. I thank you. So throw your flipping questions into the shiny question pot. You might hear your question next time. So until then, get your thinking cap on for the question pot. Okay, that's the end. Another movie now. Intriguing little film noir this time. Set in Victorian times and... Also in America, and also in the little Italy section of New York. Yes, turn of the century, crime thriller, gangster drama, Black Hand, starring Gene Kelly and a never better J. Carol Nash. You heard me, yes. A Victorian-era film noir thriller drama about Italian assassins starring Irish-American Gene Kelly and Irish-American J. Carol Nash. How can this possibly work? Well, it does. Leave? Let him get away with it? You take care of your mama. Sure, I'll take care of mama. Long as she needs me. But I'll come back. When I'm old enough, I'll come back. I swear it. 
In turn of the century, Little Italy, the Italian immigrant population are being terrified, terrorized, and extorted by an insidious group of shady racketeers known as the Black Hand. Residents fear the arrival of a black hand symbol on a letter demanding huge cash sums. Those who do not pay find themselves or members of their families kidnapped or assassinated through terrifying means. They kill him. We tell anybody, they kill him. They're watching right now. Please, get out of here. Nino, we'll set a trap. Will Johnny, Johnny is just a little child, 10 years old. We don't want no traps. We want our Francesco. We want him back. Please, please go away now, per piacere. You think I haven't thought the way you are thinking, Johnny? Maybe we could help with the ransom. It's not ransom. It's money they say I owe them. Oh, I've been paying off to them for many years, like everybody. But three, four months ago, they came around and they say, from then on, double. Double the amount every week. Double. I got mad and say no. So they took Francesco until I get smart, they say. They win. They win, Janet. They always win. After his family is murdered by black hand operatives, young Giovanni Colombo swears revenge. Ten years later, he returns to the area, now played by Gene Kelly, and tries to rally the neighborhood residents to take a stand against the deadly extortion racket grown ever more bloody and violent. Helping Giovanni in his quest to rid the streets of terror is local police officer Louis Lorelli, played by J. Carol Nash, and Giovanni's childhood sweetheart Isabella, played by Teresa Celli and her younger brother. Did you ever go uptown out of the district right around the room somewhere? You couldn't get it. They got it in their heads and were not as good as other people. All they ever hear of us in the newspapers is a murder. All they ever see of us is in the slums, or gangs are picking a shovel and digging a subway. They think it's because we ain't good enough for anything else. There's a newspaper man out here. What are they going to write about in tomorrow morning's papers? Scared the witness or refuses to testify? Would you like that, huh? Or maybe brave Italian defies the black hand warning. That would be better, huh? Are we an inferior race like people say we are, Carlo? All right, please. Ask me again. So I put this on quite late, planning to watch it in bed and sort of doze off to it really, knew nothing about the movie. But I found myself terrified into alertness by one of the most taut, nail-biting thrillers I've seen in recent times. This really does get right under your skin from the outset. It's helped by the fact that the Black Hand Gang are not your average bunch of goons, but a well-organized, fearless bunch of cutthroats who perpetrate some truly hideous crimes. Nothing is off the table for the Black Hand Gang. Men, boys, women, even infants, all find themselves threatened, and in some cases, these threats are carried out. Now, I won't go into too much detail, but Isabella's young brother, who must be about five years old in the movie, is kidnapped and threatened, and Giovanni's attempts to rescue the child, which go horribly wrong, make for one of the most squirm-inducing edge of your seat, watch through your fingers sequences of tension that have me crawling in horror. Gene Kelly really is quite fantastic. This was actually his first foray into straight dramatic roles. He wanted to diversify his career and not just sing and dance, and he's marvellous in this. There's still that hop in his step 
and that gliding physicality that marks him out as a dancer. But he also gets to do some rather brutal scenes, and his dark descent into hell towards the end of the film is pure Hitchcock. Have to say, though, this film absolutely belongs to J. Carroll Nash. As I say, I've never seen him better than this. And what a bold statement that is to make. 200 credits, and this, for me, is his finest hour. He plays the honourable cop risking his neck to do what's right with the most staggering Italian accent I've ever heard. I don't know if it's wonderful or terrible, but I was hypnotised by him from start to finish. It's based upon the real-life crimes of the Black Hand Society, so it also has that air of authenticity. It's a real gem of a movie. As I say on paper, this should not work. But not only does it work, it excels. This is one of my favourite noirs now. The end is a bit histrionic, but honestly, I could forgive this film a lot of things. It hits all the right notes, and again, it ratchets up the tension in such a delicious way. Needless to say, I didn't get much sleep last night, and it's all thanks to the marvellous Black Hand from 1950. Check it out. Well, we'll stick with the marvellous Mr. Carol Nash for this week's radio episode. This is from Suspense, and its name is The Treasure Chest of Don Jose. See you afterwards. Autolite and its 96,000 dealers bring you Mr. J. Carol Nash in tonight's presentation of Suspense. Tonight, Autolite presents a story about buried treasure, a real buried treasure and a curse, a tale we call The Treasure Chest of Don Jose, starring Mr. J. Carol Nash. Hey, Hap, what are you doing? Well, getting a fast start with my Autolite Stay Full battery, Harlow. Ah, you bet. Fast and dependable. And best of all, that Autolite Stay Full needs water only three times a year in normal car use. And I know why, Harlow. Sure you do, Hap. It's because the Autolite Stay Full has over three times the liquid reserve of batteries without Stay Full features. Right, Harlow. So, friends, visit your nearby Autolite battery dealer soon. He services all makes of batteries and has an Autolite Stay Full for your car if a replacement is needed. To quickly learn his location, just phone Western Union by number... And ask me, Operator 25, and I'll gladly tell you the location of your nearest Autolite battery dealer. And remember, from bumper to tail light, you're always right with Autolite. And now, with The Treasure Chest of Don Jose and the performance of Mr. J. Carroll Nash... Autolite hopes once again to keep you in suspense. This is not a pretty story. There is blood in it, the blood of men and women. There is a curse in it and gold. But it is a funny story. It is a joke. A great joke I cannot laugh at. It is a joke on me. In matters of this sort, secrecy is of the most importance. In matters of this sort, no man is your friend. Once, I had a friend. We lived together in my little house on Black Cay down in the Gulf of Mexico. But then the hurricane struck and everything was different. The wind blew for two nights and a day, and when the waves piled up on the cay and swept away the house, it was my friend Pedro who dragged me away unconscious and lashed me to a ring bolt on our little dock and saved my life. Next day, the sun was shining again, 
But there was nothing left on my little island. The splintered planks that once had been the house of my father were scattered among the stripped palm trees, and even the big chimney that was built by my great-grandfather was a pile of broken bricks. There was nothing but blue sea and a bright sun and heaviness in my heart. Uh, even the chimney. What would you expect from such a wind? Aye, my friend. So now at last the curse of the Gasparillas has fallen on you? Curse? You speak foolishness. It was a hurricane. So it was, but a hurricane sent especially to destroy you? You cannot believe that silly tale. Mm. Did not your father perish from a bolt of lightning that struck him from a cloudless sky? The doctor said it was a heart attack. And your grandfather pulled into the sea by a giant octopus? He was washed overboard during a squall. And all because of his father, Don Jose, the king of the pirates... And the curse put upon him and all the Gasparillas by the beautiful Doña Margarita, who preferred death. Oh, you prat like a schoolboy, you who have never been one day to school. Come, come, we will clear up this mess and build the house over again. You should know that I endured a certain local notoriety since I bore the same name and was the great-great-grandson of Don Jose Gasparilla, one of the last and one of the fiercest of the pirates of the Spanish main. This was much less interest and concern to me than it was to my friends and acquaintances among the Florida Keys. Neither my father nor his father before him had ever profited by a single doubloon from the legendary treasure of our pirate forebear. As to the curse pronounced on Don Jose by the proud and virtuous Doña Margarita, I gave it as little credence as I did the recurrent tales of Gasparilla's buried treasure. But that was before Pedro and I set about clearing up the hurricane's mess. We were stacking brick from the demolished chimney when Pedro made a discovery. Jose, look at this. Uh, what is it? Seems to be a box, a little iron box, the size and shape of a brick. Well, let me see it. There was a lock there, but it's rusted away. Hand me that pinch bar. There's a paper inside there. Yeah, it is very old. Uh, oh, what does it say, Jose? Hmm. Oh, oh, nothing, nothing. It's just an old paper. Mm. Looks like a... Looks like a poem, Yes, eh? yes. Oh, I remember now. It is a nursery rhyme from my father. And then he copied it for me when I was a little boy. But what's it doing in this old iron box? Oh, I must have hidden it away once when I was playing. Well, well amigo, come. We shall get back to work, huh? <laughs> It was a lucky thing Pedro could not read. Nursery rhyme. That rotting piece of parchment said, On Dog Buddy's Island you could fare worse if there you will, Don Jose's curse. For there, three and thirty yards, south-southeast of the rocky guards, you'll find a pleasantly fulsome measure of Gasparilla's earthly treasure. There could be no question about it. Here was, at last, a tangible clue to the hidden goal of my ancestor. It was mine, if I could find it. And why should I share it with anyone, even Pedro? I was the rightful heir, and I would claim it all. So that night, I took our only boat and rowed to the mainland. I spent two days in the public library in Key West, searching the old charts before I found Dog by the Island. It was a tiny sand spit near the tip of Cape Cod. I withdrew all of my money from the bank, bought a suit of city clothes and an airplane ticket north, and the next day I was standing on a cold, windy Massachusetts beach talking to a suspicious real estate agent. 
No, sir, I ain't heard this called Dog Body Island since I was knee-high to a grasshopper. Where'd you hear it called Dog Body Island? Well, I, I really don't know. Some friend of mine down south, maybe. Well, it's called Sprague Spit now. Ever since old Captain Sprague bought her up. Of course, she always was connected with the mainland at low tide. Uh, you can see the sandbar over yonder. Yes, yes, I see her. Now, about the house. Well, there she is, just above that point of rocks. Just a summer cottage. Too dang uncomfortable this time of the year. Well, it, it looks all right to me. I can find you something heap sight better in town. Got a nice little house just back of a gas station. Well, I'm, I'm looking for solitude. Yeah, you'll find plenty of that out here. Ain't a neighbor more than a mile and a half. That uh, point of rocks, is that the only one on the island? Yeah. Pirate's Point, folks call it hereabouts. Fella says the buccaneers used to put in here for water in the old days. Me, I don't put much stock in them stories myself. Uh, you sure you want to rent this place? It is just what I am looking for. Uh, I wish you wouldn't. It said there's a curse on it. I wish you wouldn't. It was perfect. My little rented cottage on the beach. Quiet, secluded, and yet within view of that rocky point, which must be the same one Don Jose called the Rocky Gods. There was a stack of firewood beside the kitchen door, and in a shed back of the house there was even a long-handled shovel, a most fortunate circumstance, since I did not want to create any suspicion in town by purchasing one. I can tell you I scarcely slept that first night, so great was my eagerness to be up in the morning, pace the three and thirty yards south-southeast of the Rocky Gods, and begin digging for my treasure. Twenty-nine, thirty, thirty-one, thirty-two. Morning. Oh, oh, good morning. Huh. Looks like it's going to be a nice day. Yes, yes, it does. Going to do some digging? I beg your pardon? I see you got a shovel. Looks like you're going to do some digging. Oh, uh, yes, yes, uh, clams. I I'm going to dig for clams. No clams in the surf. Oh, there aren't? No, find them on the bay side. Oh, then I'll look over there. Don't dig them with a shovel. Got to use a rake. Oh, is that so? Yeah. It's too late now, anyway. Tide's coming in. Another low tide at five this afternoon. Oh, I didn't know. I'm I'm a stranger here. Yeah, I know. Heard you'd rented the Davis place. I'm chief of police of Queek Cassett. Oh? Anything wrong? No. Town limits come all the way out here, though. Uh, gonna stay here long? I don't know. A few weeks. Maybe all winter. You a writing fellow? No. Painting fellow? No. Just taking a vacation? Yes, yes, you, you might call it that. Beats me. Well, nice to have this talk with you. Anything you need in the way of police protection, just let me know. He couldn't know. How could he know? Nobody knew about the treasure clue but me. Yet he seemed so suspicious, and he asked me so many questions. Well, I, I went back to the house, sat by the window until he was out of sight up the beach. But by that time, the tide had come in and the treasure was buried by the ocean. So I waited until five o'clock when the tide was low. And then, carrying a gasoline lantern, I paced off the 33 yards south-southeast of the Rocky Guards and set to work. Although the evening was chilled with a brisk breeze blowing in from the sea, I soon had shed my coat and was dripping with perspiration. I lost all track of time and place and my own identity. 
I was a machine attacking the wet, sliding sand with huge bites of my shovel, widening the hole as it grew deeper until my lantern threw long shadows across the opening that had now become large enough for a coffin. Then my shovel hit something solid. I reached for my lantern, and there, under its lifeless green glare, was a section of rotting wood. I shoveled wet sand to one side. There was a rusted iron strap. I had found it. An iron-bound chest. The treasure chest of Don Jose Gasparilla. It was almost too much to bear. Suddenly, my dampened shirt chilled me, and I was seized with a fit of shivering. Then I, I began crying like a frightened child. How long I crouched there in this agony of relief and joy, I cannot tell, but suddenly, above the sound of my own sobs and the pounding surf and the sighing wind, I heard voices. Terror seized me. Who? Who came now to violate my supreme moment? Who now threatened to deprive me of what was rightfully mine? I turned the lantern out, scrambled from the hole. A few yards away, I could see the beam of a flashlight slowly approaching. I ran, hid behind a ledge of rocks, my heart drumming in my ears, my held breath screaming in my tightened throat, trying to listen, trying to see. What were they doing? Did they know? At last it was quiet. I watched their light as they made their way across the island toward the bay. And then after a long time, I heard the cough of a motorboat. Still I waited until the sound of the receding motor was lost in the sighing wind and the hiss of a nearby surf. Then I lit my lantern and went back to my diggings. The hole, the hole, it was half filled and suddenly my terror turned to rage. What, what had they done? I began digging savagely. But almost at once my shovel hit something, something that was softer than the chest and yielded to the pressure. I seized my lantern, crouched over for a closer examination, and found myself looking into the still, open, and vacantly staring eyes of a corpse. Autolite is bringing you Mr. J. Carroll Nash, in the treasure chest of Don Jose. Tonight's production in radio's outstanding theater of thrills, Suspense. Say, Harlow, wait a minute. Do you mean everyone? Everyone, Hap. Positive? Positive, Hap. Every positive plate in the Autolite Stay Full Battery is protected by fiberglass retaining mats to reduce shedding and flaking and give longer life as proved by tests conducted according to accepted life cycle standards. All that plus, eh, Harlow? Plus the fact that the famous Autolite Stay Full needs water only three times a year in normal car use. Yes, the Autolite Stay Full needs water only three times a year in normal car use. So, friends, visit your nearest Autolite battery dealer and ask him about an Autolite stay-full battery for your car if a replacement is needed. He services all makes of batteries, and he's conveniently located. To quickly learn his address, just call Western Union by number... And ask for me, Operator 25. 
I'll gladly tell you the name and location of your nearest Autolite battery dealer. Where you can get your Autolite Stay Full battery, the battery that needs water only three times a year in normal car use. And remember, from bumper to tail light, you're always right with Autolite. And now, Autolite brings back to our Hollywood soundstage Mr. J. Carroll Nash in Elliot Lewis's production of The Treasure Chest of Don Jose. A tale well calculated to keep you in suspense. As I stared into the open eyes of the corpse, I had a strange feeling that he was one of Don Jose Gasparillo's men buried with a treasure chest to guard it through eternity. But this was ridiculous. The man was only recently dead, no hundred-year-old skeleton. And he was young and well-dressed, yet he stood between me and my treasure. Was this then, was this then the curse laid upon Don Jose come to rest at my feet? With the greatest effort, I covered the grisly guardian of my fortune. By then it must have been close to midnight. The tide was coming in. I dragged myself back to the house, tormented by a thousand anxieties. Sometime toward dawn, I must have fallen asleep. For the next thing I knew, it was past noon and someone was pounding on my door. Hey! Anybody home? Just, just a minute. I'm coming. Oh, it's... It's you, Chief. Good morning. Afternoon now. What? Oh, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I was sleeping. Thought you was dead. Dead? Yeah. Took long enough to waken you. Oh, excuse me. I, I had insomnia most of the night. Insomnia, huh? Mean you was awake? Yes. Most of the night, you say? Why, why yes. Hear anything peculiar out here? Why, why, no, no. No, what do you mean? Prowlers or such? Oh, why should anyone be prowling out here? Didn't say there was. Asked if you heard anyone. No, 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 I didn't. Got a check. This being in the town limit. Why? Is anything the matter? Yeah. Kidnapping. Murder, maybe. Murder? Yeah. Ain't you heard it on the radio? I haven't got a radio. Sure. Great consolation for a man living alone. Well, what, 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 what happened? Tell me. Young Harvard fella, sinful rich. His father paid the ransom $20,000. But the kidnappers didn't deliver the boy. Got a three-state alarm out for him. Think they're on the Cape somewheres. We're just checking. What makes you think they'd come out here? Oh, don't know. Hunch partly. Partly because somebody borrowed one of Jen Chantry's boats last night. Found a blood stain in the cockpit this morning. Didn't see him. No, huh? no, I, I told you I, I didn't. Yeah, so you did. Well, we'll catch them, of course, if they're on the Cape. Sooner or later, we'll catch them. Ransom money's in small bills, all marked. They'll get hungry sooner or later and spend some. Besides, we've got a pretty good description of them. Let me know if you see you here anything. Yes, yes, of course. I, I'll be glad to. Yeah. Just checking. Now there was no time to lose. I had already missed one low tide. I had to get my gold and get it away from this island of suspicion and debt. I waited until five o'clock and returned to my diggings. The low scudding clouds packed the sand with sudden gusts of icy rain... There was little likelihood that I would have unwelcome visitors on such a forbidding evening. I quickly disinterred the body from my treasure hole. Unquestionably, he was the kidnapped victim, a young man dressed in flannel slacks and saddle shoes of a college boy. I dragged him to one side, 
out of sight behind some rocks where I couldn't see his empty death stare. Then I went back to my digging. By seven o'clock, I had uncovered the chest and was prepared to lift it out of its grave. The curse? No, 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 no curse, for, for here was the treasure, and, and it was mine. I better give you a hand with that. What? He wants to know, do you need a hand with that? Who? Who are you? What, what, what are you doing here? How did Low, you get here? Low tide. I walked. Get out of the hole, Pop. Answer me. Help Pop out of the hole. Yeah. Come on, Pop. All right, where is it? What? It's gone. He got rid of it. Get him out of there. Okay, Pop, come on. No, no, let me go, please. Let me go. Where is it, Pop? What'd you do with him? Do? Where's the kid? There. I put him there. Steve? Yeah. He's here. What are you trying to do, Pop? Why'd you move him? What's he trying to do? He... He was... Was? Was what? Look in the hole. Yeah. No. No, no, don't. There's a box in here. That's why you moved him, Pop. Get to the box. Give me a hand with this. Leave it alone. It's mine. Don't touch it. Shut up. Here. See it? What do you got, Pop? Treasure? Buried treasure? Don't laugh. Maybe that's what it is. Let's get it out of here. Leave it alone. Leave it alone. I told you to shut up. All right, Steve, let's get it out of there. There it was, my treasure, in the sand-covered, iron-bound box. Only it wasn't mine. Not while these two hoodlums stood over me with clenched fists and poised boots. Had guns point, they made me grasp one of the rusty handles, and one of them lifted the other, and they forced me to help carry it toward the house. My treasure, it was mine, and nobody could take it from me now. I must find a way to rescue it. When we got inside the house, they yanked open the chest and emptied one of the canvas sacks, its contents cascading onto the table in a golden stream of doubloons. Well, what do you know? Gold. It's mine. It belongs to me. It's, it's my inheritance. Yeah, I know, Pop. Only you're going to pay a high inheritance tax, 100%. Okay, now, Pop, I'll tell you what we're going to do. My friend and me are in a little trouble. And you're going to give us a hand, aren't you, Pop? Well, well, what are you talking about? Go away. Leave me alone. That's just what we're going to do. We're leaving and we're taking that bright, shiny stuff with us. The treasure is mine. But we're going to be fair. More than fair. We're going to give you $20,000 in nice, up-to-date American money. How do we know? Maybe that junk of yours ain't worth half that money. Your money is marked. It's ransom money. That's beside the point. This dough of yours won't work in a cigarette machine, you know. Gonna have to go to a lot of trouble to cash it. What was that? Wind that blew open. It's rained like the devil outside. Better get started. No, 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 no. no I, won't. I won't let you. Just take it easy, old man. You got no complaints. You're 20 grand ahead of the game. What the? Look at this, Jeff. Wind blew a piece of driftwood through the wind. Come on, we gotta get out of here. All right, let's go. Grab one end of that chest. Wait a minute, you forgetting something? What? A sack full on the table. Oh, yeah. Here, Pop. Here's one for you as a souvenir. Come on, come on, Jeff. We gotta get this thing across the sand spit before the tide comes in. Yeah, we're all finished here. So long, Pop. No, no, my treasure. 
my treasure. Uh, thanks, Pop. Thanks a million. And they were gone, walking slowly across the dunes with a heavy burden. I watched them, unaware of the sheets of rain driving through the open door of the cottage, unaware that the house itself was shuddering from the impact of the storm, unaware that the wind had shifted from northeast to southeast. And suddenly I became, I became conscious of my great danger. The thin frame cottage was creaking and shaking. It was shaking from the relentless wind, and the sound of the storms had a familiar tone, a tone I had heard once before, and then, then I realized the wind had shifted. I realized this was no ordinary storm. This was a hurricane. Outside, the waves were piling up, coming closer and closer to the cottage. Over my head, there was an ominous crunching, ripping in the eaves. I could see the great daylight through the eaves. The roof would blow loose any moment. I threw myself against the kitchen door and, crouching low, ran away from the sea. Down behind the shelter of a high dune, I stumbled against a cranberry bush and fell flat, spread eagles on the sand. And suddenly, suddenly the wind stopped, the rain stopped, and there was the calm of death. It was the center of the hurricane, the eye, the moment of respite before the final fury of the storm. And I remembered the curse and wished aloud for its fulfillment. And there was no sound but the booming of the furious surf. And then, then there seemed to be a distant human cry. I looked, I looked toward the rocky guards. Far in the distance, for an instant, I could see the tiny struggling figures of my tormentors. And then a giant wave crashed down on them, and they and the spit disappeared in boiling, angry water. And the wet heavens descended again, hurled upon me by the tail of the hurricane. in my eyes, a light brighter and bigger and closer than the sun, and I heard a voice. You all right, Mr. Gaspar? No, who? It's me, Tris Weatherby. Got out here as soon as I could. We was worried about you. Out here with no radio, you couldn't get the storm warnings. You come up so fast, wasn't time to get you off. Oh, thanks. That's very kind of you. Lucky you got out of the house. Why? Ain't there no more. Ocean came plumb through, carried the house right out into the bay. Made two islands out of Sprague's spit. The house is gone? Not a stick of it left. Ten-foot channel where it stood. Storms play funny tricks. That uh, kidnapping I told you about. Yes, what about it? Found three bodies out near those rocks. The kidnappers and their victim. What do you know about that? Nothing. Nothing at all. It is a very funny story, no? But I cannot laugh. The joke is on me. You don't believe me? But look, here is the gold doubloon. All that is left of the treasure chest of Don Jose. Yet I know this to be true. There is a treasure. I saw it held it, and that treasure still exists. Only now there is no map. But I can tell you, in the rocky surf near the two islands called Sprague Spit, if you will dare the curse, is the treasure chest 
Ab dann, Jose. And that was The Treasure Chest of Don Jose, starring J. Carol Nash from Suspense. Wonderful stuff. That is it from me for this week. Thank you so much for tuning in. Remember that there's a whole ton more available if you sign up at www.patreon.com slash attaboysecret, including bonus review shows just like this. Access to my private classic movie library, available now to stream wherever you may be. The Queens of Cinema series, Blueprints, and a complete archive of hundreds more hours of Secret History of Hollywood and Attaboy Clarence shows, plus movie commentaries and a film club night every week. Plus, you'll be helping to make these shows happen. Sign up now at www.patreon.com slash attaboysecret or click the link in the show notes of this episode. Until next time then, take stupendous care of yourselves and those you love, and bye for now. If you'd like to support this show, you can do so by going to www.attaboyclarence.com and clicking on the Patreon banner. Pledges start from as little as $1 a month, and in return you'll receive exclusive emails, bonus episodes, previews, and ebooks. And every dollar pledged goes towards making these shows better and more frequent. Go to www.attaboyclarence.com or click the link in the show notes now to become a patron. Thank you. As a long-time foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts.